Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price.
graduating from uh, programs, as well as being ordained as prophets and being inducted as prophets in training. It's all going down here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I don't care what anybody says about T-Town. God is on the rise, and he is moving with us. Next in the lineup is I want you all to give the gift of mentorship this Christmas. Dr. Paula Price introduces her mentorship webinar. If you are not on our mailing list, after this broadcast or now, depending on what kind of device you're on, I want you to go to drpaulaaprice.com, www.drpaulaaprice.com. And I want you to go to the contact and subscribe to her mailing list because you will stay in the know when you are on her mailing list. That's how you know what's going on. So please, look, I'm leaning in. Please don't rely on social media as your primary point of contact and then being upset when you miss something. There's a lot going on. You want to sign up on our mailing list. We're sending out emails all the time about event discounts, registration deadlines, uh, Price University information, sales that we're running, on the assessment, where Dr. Price is going to be in her travel. All of that comes through our mailing list. So go to drpaulaaprice.com and sign up if you have not done so to be on our mailing list. You will be seeing emails come through about Give the Gift of Mentorship, where different uh, mentorship webinars will be rolling out. The first one that we're rolling out will be about constructing the contemporary profit mentorship. That's a two-part webinar. Yes. See, the same thing we're like, oh. <laughs> Dr. Price used to say something to us all the time when she was grooming us as prophets and we weren't catching the prophetic flame. <laughs> she used to say, look, when God told me this is who I was, I consumed everything about it. I had books, stacks of books. And, and at that time, there wasn't the Internet. We didn't have to download and everything like that, so you actually had to have paper, which is why our house must have a library in it. <laughs> Every house. Because not just an office, no, no, shelves for books, books and books and books. And, and so I want to challenge you. You can't convince God or anybody that you're a prophet who should be taken seriously. And you're not chasing after everything credible. And this is how some people get into trouble. Because they, uh, they are chasing everything, they're taking in everything, but just like food, you have to take in what has been sanitized. What's the, the danger with little children? They just grab anything and put it in their mouth. And right now we have a lot of contamination in the mantle because we just grab anything that looks like sustenance and shoved it in our spiritual mouth because you're so hungry, you're so desperate to find information, and it takes a while to realize, oh, that was actually poison. <laughs> okay, that's why parents are always screaming at kids when they, you know, it only takes those little kids two seconds to be two miles down the street. How did you get in the neighbor's house three blocks over when all I did was go to the bathroom and come back out of the door? <laughs> so little kids are quick, and they're reaching in their bathroom. And so when you're in that place of being born in your mantle or you're ready to go to the next place, you just want to reach and grab for this and grab for that. But not everything is nutritionist to you mantleship-wise and spiritually. 
this place here, we are unadulterated. You know, when you get those unadulterated vitamins, they taste like dirt. They're so healthy, they taste like the ground they came from. Really, really pure minerals taste like a, like you're licking a rock, like whatever that tastes like, I guess. Actually, I have not eaten dirt or anything, but I'm assuming that's what it tastes like. And you're just like, oh, it's just at first, where's my sweet? Where's my uh, uh, preservative? Where's the sugar? Where's the additive? And initially, when you go holistic, you're angry about it. Because all of the additives that kept you running back to the old are not in there. Now you're sleeping better, you're losing weight, you're feeling better, you're coming off of medication. And at some point, you know, this is the best thing I could have ever done. We are the unadulterated, holistic everything. We are scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. And that has been what Dr. Price has believed even before she said the slogan. Years before she said the slogan, that was still the truth. So if you want the unadulterated, and you should look up adultery, and adulterate to actually see why God said adultery is not a fair and why that applies to more than just marriage and relationships because when something is adulterated, it's wrecked, it's destroyed. Go look it up, go study it. So you want the unadulterated training, be on the lookout for that and, and give the gift of mentorship because, hey, you can purchase it and then send it to a friend. I want to buy this webinar for you for the holidays, for Christmas, for New Year's. Get yourself together. You know how you have your friends always crying. I just want to do it. I just want to do it. Well, we have solutions here. If you want to find your place in God, take an assessment. Home base, www.drpaulaaprice.com. New website, new layout. It's amazing. It's fantastic. You can reach every piece of Dr. Price's world from there. But going back to my original point, subscribe to our mailing list. So you can receive the information for this. Don't just rely on social media to tell you what is going on. And now for just an inside note to our NEAR members. Those who are a member of NEAR, this announcement is for you. What is NEAR? New Era Apostleship Restitution Collaborative. Dr. Price has a collaborative where we collaborate. We don't just network together as the end goal. We collaborate. So if you're a member of NEAR, and if you want to find out more about NEAR, you can go to www.joinnear.com. Also, a new website, new layout, fantastic, beautiful, and amazing. You can find out about the different levels of membership. But here's what I want to tell our NEAR members now. Dr. Price's second webinar on leadership training, she's doing a kingdom leadership training series for her NEAR members only. This will be available to the general public in the school in 2020, in the fall of 2020, and it will be substantially more money than it is right now for our NEAR members. So to our NEAR members, uh, also you will be on the lookout for your next tuition payment, which is very small compared to the full tuition, and then information for signing up through our Price University platform. So be on the lookout for that for our NEAR members. If you want to join NEAR and say, wait a minute, Dr. Price is teaching something that I can't get my hands on, yes. There's always more, Dr. Price. Always. Always. <laughs> and also, January 13th, we kick off our spring semester, Price University, and our prophetic ed program is launching. If you are watching this and you are signing up for prophetic ed, 
You actually need to sign up for prophetic ed. You need to apply and enroll in the school and in the program. We have extended our registration for our spring semester. It was closed uh, initially at the end of November, and we, we have kept it open for you to keep that going. I know that Apostle Nona Parker in Antioch and Joliet, as well as her Kentucky Gate Church, we have people coming from there. She is launching it in her region first prophetic ed launch in this format and in this program. You want to reach out to us, you want to go to priceuniversity.org, or again, www.drpaulaaprice.com. You can scroll down right there on the homepage, and there are beautiful options for you to connect to all of our major websites right from there. You want to do that. You don't want to miss it. Price University is expanding. We are expanding in student body. We are expanding and opening up new programs as well. We have real estate program opening up. I mean, marketplace, we're not just talking a good talk. If you, if you know Dr. Price at all, if you have just met her yesterday, then you understand that it is, oh, you do, you're doing something. She has heard from high-level executives in the kingdom and in the world, Christ kingdom, world kingdom, you get something done. You just don't say it. You are doing it. And that is where we are. We have a walk. That is where we are right now with that. And so we're putting hands and feet to what we're doing. We are branching out. Price University is a kingdom university. Learn today. Lead tomorrow. Sorry. We have a wasp flying around here right now. And, and that is what we teach you to do. And not just in the church, but in the different areas and spheres of the kingdom. And so we want you to stay connected with that as well. And I want to say, can I say one more thing? Okay. Because this is, this is good. All right. She's, oh, she's turning on. I want you to know, we didn't get to uh, talk about this last week, but New Year's Eve. We are having a New Year's Eve service here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Bixby, the church is in Bixby. You just jump in a line over to Bixby from Tulsa. If you're flying in town, you want to fly into the Tulsa International Airport, same one as you do for our event, and we are having a New Year's Eve service. Come one, come all. Bring your people. Bring your congregations. We have groups. Uh, I know uh, there's a prophetic group in town who's coming to our New Year's Eve service. You want to show up because anything we do is just, is just God. <laughs> and you know, it's sad that you have to say that in the church today, that what we do is God. Because what we do is God, and it's distinguishing. I was having a conversation with somebody in town today, uh, this week, who is in Tulsa, a minister in another ministry, and he said, but the fruit of Dr. Price's ministry is untouchable. The people, he said, all of you all are strong in what you do. You are convicted. You are educated. You are informed. Yet we are loving. We're funny. We're hilarious. All of those things that people say you have to trade out, you're going to be deep in God, you must be boring and sterile. This is not boring, and this is certainly not sterile, although it is sanitized and sanctified. Praise it. Yes. So we have sterilized from the world, but not from God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm excited to do that. And let me just put this up here as well to give you... The uh, Visit Dr. Price's homepage, this is a, a picture of her homepage. Isn't that nice? com. You look fabulous. You look fabulous. You do. And it is her time. It is her time. She is rising. 
And now is the time to get on board while the getting is still good and while there's still a seat near the front. Tell them, 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 Hit the like button, okay, right there, right there. Like her on Facebook. Share the page with other people. Dr. Price is broadcasting on the Word Network and the Now Network. And you can go to takingiton.com, www.takingiton.com, which you can also get to from drpaulaprice.com and get those show broadcast times and what she is doing. We call this, now we, we're Paula Price Enterprises. We realize her website has to become a hub website to shoot everybody off. Because you're like, no, what was this like? What was this like? The Accessible Center, the Success Center, near the church, Price University. Where? Where? Yes. So you can find everything you need to know, or at least to get you to the places where you need to know from drpaulaaprice.com. And you're looking quite fly today. Yes, I want to be, uh, you know, I want to represent the academic side of my program. You know, I got some academics. You, you, you do. You know, I got some. You know, I'm not telling you I got some. Yes, you do. Business right. guy do. Mm-hmm. So I got, I got academics. So are you finished? Yes. You know, you look like, you know, you know, you know, people, <laughs> people today, has so been programmed by Satan's laid-back, slapped-down, casual thing that you have to explain why you don't want to look like you just got off the farm. You're right. You don't want to look like you are a, a sharecropper. You're right. We have to explain why we look this way. And I like explaining it, you know, because, I mean, first of all, I'm like, why are we wrong? And you look like everybody else who's driving a truck, digging a ditch, and sweeping some floor. So why do I have to explain you know, oh, please, you know, I'm so bad about this, because I'm thinking, wait a minute, and everybody who wants to look good for Jesus Christ has got to explain why they think that highly of it. Oh, yeah. Well, it is. It's so sad that now just what once was common, mm-hmm. when you look at pictures from the 50s, the 60s, anybody who stepped out, they were stepping out. I remember being a kid, my grandmother, oh, Lord, I was like, Anna, we just want to go to the store. Why are we taking forever to get there? Had to get dressed. Mm-hmm. It was a bath, clothes, suits, dress shoes to go to the grocery store. Because we were entering a neat and clean society. Yes. And now we're entering Satan society. And he can't rise up. Anybody who got kicked out of heaven will always make you feel good about falling and not rising. That's just how it goes. Somebody right here now. Okay. You missed that. I mean, we, your life falling. And, and, and your life proving that. And so I, I've never been a crowd follower, and I guess you all kind of realize that I'm, I'm barely making it as a crowd pleaser. <laughs> I'm barely. That happens, people. I am really trying. No, I'm not. So let me not lie. That's not true. Because I feel like leaders distinguish themselves from the crowd. Yes. They don't look like the crowd. Folks shouldn't go in there and wonder who's in charge. And so you hear people say that, you know, um, they tell you that it doesn't matter. I'm going to go to my first slide here so I can get you all viewing me. 
but they tell you it doesn't matter and it shouldn't matter, but your heart chose your outfit because your likes and dislikes, preferences, all come from your heart, your soul. So in soul, you're laid back. In soul, you're casual. In soul, Jesus doesn't matter. In soul, you are a minister and not a royal priest. So when I, I read the Bible, I bet you all didn't know that I read the Bible. <laughs> And so I read the Bible, and when I read my Bible, it kept saying we went up to the Mount of God. We grew up in the Lord. We rose in God. We are the royal priesthood. Royal doesn't mean village people. I'm okay with however way you want to do it. If you are a village person and your attire proves that you are with the working day folks and you don't want them to feel bad, that's fine. But some of us have got to demonstrate the lead. We've got to demonstrate their destiny, their pursuit. So when they ask me, why wow, you guys are always dressed, I am royal. I take seriously that I'm the royal priesthood. I take seriously that I am sitting heavenly place. I take seriously that my God can afford to make me look like I am in his palace and not just a member of his community. Now, I'm okay with that. I mean, I promise you, I don't, you know, people, my folk come to church, uh, they can come in week casual because I don't want you to stay home because you can't get home to change clothes. So they can do that. And, and I do. But when I am in my particular office, when I'm standing in my office, when I'm actually re- representing my God, I am not casual because my relationship with him is not casual and his duties to me are not to be tackled casually. We are here today because when you are, when you dress down, you drop down. When you dress casual, you lay back because you then begin to, literally, this is interesting, because you then begin to whittle away at the things that you dislike about being up in God. Everything's laid back. Everything's down. Down in God's world is not necessarily our destiny. Down is our nativity. Our destiny is heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when you all ask, don't please don't even ask me because I'm royal. I'm the royal priesthood. And royalty doesn't look like commonality. They just don't look like the common folk. Now, I'm okay with that, but I'm a royal leader. I sit in a high place. People ask, so people have asked me, Dr. Price, why don't you drink? First of all, I don't need to drink. That's number one. Number two, the Bible says that those who sit in high places ought not to drink, not even wine. Right. So you all, see, everything about Satan is come down, come down, because what does wine do? Relax you, lays back. The Bible says it perverts judgment. You, when you make those decisions over drink, you don't know if you make it up a price or sin. Because, hey, you're friends with both. And friendship with the world is enmity with God. You know, with co- collaboration with the world, God's okay with that. You know, co-venturing with the world, come on, he's okay with that. But Friendship means I adopt you and you adopt me. I adapt to you and you choose whether or not you want to adapt to me. And the strongest person in the relationship chooses what's adopted and what's adapted and begin to define the expression of that relationship. So I don't. We, I tell you, we, I sat at tables with a bunch of apostles, and I mean, they sit in and whatnot like they sit at the country bar. 
Now, it was, you know, kind of like not playing. Maybe that was part of it. But the point of the matter is I'm a, I'm a serious leader, and I'm a leader who leads with the clarity of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is not taking Satan's stuff to do his job. And he's the one that told us what Satan does in civilization. So I want you to know that I'm always going to address my royalty because I'm a royal priesthood, because I am an offspring of the Godhead, because royal pedigree has to be distinguished from common culture. So I'm not, I, look at, I look on a lot of these shows, and I look at these folks, and they look just like the people like them, and, and there's a psychological effect to that. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with leadership now. There's a psychological effect to you looking like everybody else. The whole purpose was I want us to be comfortable. I want you to be comfortable. I don't want you to take me too seriously because I don't want you to take yourself too seriously. I take Jesus seriously, and I am a serious leader for this man. I take him seriously and because I believe his issues are serious. I, I, I am convinced that what he's facing and what he's wrestling with is serious. Now, you know, we do clergy wear on Sunday because that's an official function. Because if you went to anybody else's official function, they tell you how to dress. There's an attire for it. When you all do your, your family reunion, y'all got official attire. You pick out what everybody's going to wear every day. And you, everybody's got to wear their little T-shirt so that they know your what for uniformity's sake, for identity's sake. So don't talk to me about why we can't do it for Jesus Christ. See, without, I'm always going to be the, I'm going to tell you, I'm a man's advocate. But a lot, of, a lot of the church commandments are adversarial. They're adverse to what he wants to get done. They're adverse to what pleases them. Satan will exploit and denigrate anything that's gonna, that God, you can, God wants. You can tell what God loves by what Satan keeps trampling on and perverting. So God wants us to look like he's the wealthy God and not some sort of straggling person. I don't care how much money you, you, you have. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care if you even make raggedy jeans. The fact of the matter is their origin was for the poor, and they represent your, poor, your poverty and spirit. So you may be cash rich, but you're soul poor. And soul poverty is what God has a problem with. That's why he said, beloved, I'm pushing above all things that thou will what? Prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So material prosperity does not delineate soul prosperity. So you can, a lot of these people, they're wealthy. And that's what Rich told you. They got so rich in money, they didn't realize that they had sacked their soul, which is why they've come up with degraded attire and degraded culture because it takes a lot to attain to those levels. And when your soul is sacked, and now it has to support your material wealth. It can't do a thing for your inner health, your soul health. It just can't because it takes a lot, long hours, lots of wars, battles, and struggles. So no wonder you're moving into raggedy jeans. Your soul is fat. You're moving into raggedy clothes and casual clothes because you are so drained. You forgot the you that pursued what you've attained. You're that drink. You don't know that it's a soul. All of those are soul saps. The enemy saps your soul. And so you need a God zap to revive you, to quicken you, to get your psychological self, your conscious self back online. 
Well, you know, the majority of the people don't do that. The majority of the people don't have your money and you ain't trying to be poor with them. <laughs> so don't use that. That's a, that's a sloppy excuse if ever I heard it. You are not trying to say, I want to be like the people. Only a handful of y'all are going to dump your wealth on the poor and then turn around and get upset because three years from, the, from that day, they're poor again because how many is in the spirit? He said, blessed are poor in spirit. So if, you are, if your spirit is poor and destitute, and, and it may not have been, because, see, when you pursue your wealth, when you pursue your wealth, you're pursuing it so rich. You have all of this potential in you, and like little nodes and, and little, uh, uh, little uh, uh, providers and suppliers that awaken to be, that ready to be awakened. So every time you achieve, you open up something else, and it, it's like they're, like they're like, you know, incorporeal cells. They open up into something else, and it opens you to the world, and opens the world to another part of you. By the time you attain, that's why when folks get to the really top, you know what they're made of. Because if you can be perverted because of your success, then you were, dest- you, you, you were destitute of foe. See, people who can be perverted, they get to the top, and all of a sudden, right's not right, and wrong's not wrong. They get to the top, and all of a sudden, good is evil, and evil is good. That tells you that they were literally uh, impoverished in soul. They were deprived of everything that sustains their success. So then all of those things that, that's how you understand the wicked from the righteous, all of those things that were uh, were released and were that opened them up to their potential, that released their potential, all of those things were strictly material, and because of their strict materiality, they had no benefit to the soul. You know, God talked about that. He said there are works that have absolutely no benefit to your psychological soul, your soulological soul. Just doesn't do it. So talents are not soul regulated unless you decide they are. Gifts, your spiritual giftings are not soul regulated. They are in a whole other compartment. I'm going to read to you about that in about a minute. But they're in a whole other compartment of who you are. So it takes your will to go in there and say, I'm going to do more than manufacture material things. I'm going to also manufacture soulological things that will keep you in power and keep you healthy and wholesome. It's important that you recognize that. So don't give me this whole thing about, well, that's because we're free in Jesus. You, no, no, no. You're free to show up as another God's kid. But that doesn't make you free in Jesus. You're free to behave the way your father's God and your mother's God dictates. But that doesn't make you free in Jesus. As a matter of fact, it freezes you out of Jesus. When I decided to do this, and I, I did, I dug it in, I've got books, and she talked about books, books for days, read all of this. The one thing I know about a, 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 a destitute soul is that a destitute soul literally can, uh, cannot make a decision for its health and well-being if it costs them external acceptance. Your identity is in your soul, and you are the one who must nurture that identity, keep it strong, and, and build it and un, literally unlock and uncourt, untap all of those little dormant and latent providers that God put in you. Because providence puts in more than your material or 
and, and potential. See, it's more than that. So as I'm teaching, um, you know, as I'm teaching this, and I've been teaching this for a lot of years, but God has decided that people need to understand you jump on a bandwagon because of what's in or not in your soul. That's why you jump on a bandwagon. And you jump on that bandwagon, and the bandwagon you choose has to do with how you want to be regarded and related to externally in your world. And you do that based on your calling. Are you called to lead or are you called to follow? Followers will always follow trends. They will, and trendsetters know it. They don't really care about folks like me because they feel like, oh, yeah, but y'all so few, but see, I'm making more of me because a lot of you are turning into me. Y'all are becoming royal priests and not pagan priests. Mm-hmm. See, I'm royal, and royal means the ruling caste. It means the ruling rank, those that set the rules because they reflect the rules. See, so when, I don't care how you look, you reflect what you are pushing and peddling in life. So we go there, and now you go to a business, a, a whatever, and they say you wear jeans. Jeans rooted in rebellion. You, 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 you understand that all of this, I'm going to Wikipedia, tell you what jeans are. Genes were rooted in rebellion, and they were meant to change culture and to bring it down from its high perch to its valley level. I once taught on this, and one of the apostles decided to re- rebut it or whatever, talking about, but there's good things in the valley. You're absolutely right, man. They got some grass down there. They got some water down there. It's pretty wonderful. As a matter of fact, up top, you better hope that it's a, it's a snow-covered mountain or something because, wait a minute, but the first rains hit the top. They don't hit the bottom. Yeah, see, so I don't have one. See how that's working out? So, and so, I mean, wanted to let me know, this is not to make you feel bad about wherever you are, but I don't think you have a right to tell me the valley owns the mountain. And I don't think you have a right to disparage me because I decide to retain and to reflect my mountain experiences with the Almighty. Moses had to bring it down to the people. And, and I want you to know, I want everybody to prosper and be held. I want you to prosper as a banker and a farmer. I want you to prosper as a, as a um, citizen and as a worker. I want you to prosper as a parent. I want you to prosper. I want you to prosper, and I want you to be the best you can. But you should not plummet because Satan can't rise to God's level. And this little slum factor got to go. Because that's slumming it. The church has been slumming it a long time. And then got to know to beat bash everybody who wants to dress up. I'm going to dress for Jesus. I'm dressing for the man who made it all. I'm dressing for the glory he has. I'm dressing for the power he has. I'm dressing for the weight of glory that he's entrusting to me. And I like it. I'm royal. And a woman said it to me. We were in the airport, and some prophet somewhere else said to me, boy, you sure look nice. I said I'm regal. I got this regal thing going on. See, I'm regal. And I'm all right with that. Now, if I'm coming to your house, I'm going to put on some casual clothes, and I'm going to eat your food and have a blast. Yes, I am. If you invite me to a picnic, I'm not going to show up and, 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 and draw, draw, you know, sequins and all. I'm not doing it. Now, I do think the sequins thing is a little much. <laughs> but that's a personal thing. That just has to do with what extreme you want to go. But at least you're giving God credit and the regard, due regard for being the Almighty. At least you're letting him know he's worth you making an effort. He's worth you dressing up. He's worth you just. 
woman tells you what God is worth. That's why people don't know Bible any longer. That's why they can't tell you right from wrong. That's why they are all slipping and dipping and carrying on because you're slumming. That's slum Christianity. And so y'all serving the slum lord. And I'm serving the most high lord. Because I'm royal. I'm the royal priesthood. We're a nation of kings and priests. And the ones that don't want to dress up and, and rise to their calling usually abdicate. Oh, that's what, hey, what can I say? I'm not advocating. I'm good at this. I love being good at this. And I like this. So, yes, I do. We I look up. Yes, I do. I say, honey, man, what you like? He'll tell me. And if I put on something a little too, too risque, he'll say, you know, they're not going to read that the way you think. Because you're thinking it's liberty. But they're thinking permission. So yeah, I'm gonna look cute. I am. Don't ask. Uh, don't ask my girls why we look like this. We are royal priesthood. I'm a regal chick. Trust me, I'm God's regal woman, and I like the fact that He's because regal means regalia comes from regal, and regal means royal, and regal also establishes a loyalty to the legality of my position. I'm loyal to my position. See, that's what you're gonna learn in my leadership class. That's how it is. And when I'm done, let me tell you something. My folks show up in raggedy jeans, we're going to have a problem. I'm like, that vagabond spirit will not sit in my head. <laughs> you know they're laughing because you know they got them. They got them. Yes, I know they have them. Yes, they do. They have them, and they don't want me to talk about it. But you're like, if you're, that's a vagabond spirit. Imagine the homeless. The homeless got raggedy jeans, and you got raggedy jeans. Come on, somebody. What is this? Okay, I got a car. I just happen to have one. I was back. Some little raggedy outfits walking around like that, and then you walk past the homeless and try, people want to give you money. Yes, and you know why I do this? Because not everybody bought it, and not everybody voted for it, they just bought into it because they had no alternative view. So I'm giving you an alternative view to cast your vote. Now, when we when we fly on planes, we can, I won't wear jeans just on principle. This is a Dr. Price principle because anything rooted in rebellion cannot therefore bring forth the fruit of righteousness. So I won't do it. Personally, I will never do it. When somebody tries to ask, well, give me your, no, 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 those jeans came from Jimmy Dean. No, y'all need to read it. That's what you need to read. James did. James did. He introduced them. And he introduced them to break the next generation away from the previous one. And then they became standardized with the, with the statement of rebellion. I can wear my jeans where I want. I don't know why we can't. Let me tell you, I can tell things that are wrong because they fuck with me about jeans. I'm like, are we for real? Are we really fucking about blue jeans? That started out as farm wear and farm uniform. Overall, are you really fighting for to wear what the world is wearing when you know Jesus has condemned it? Come on, somebody. If that's your fight, you ain't ready for righteousness. <laughs> I got my folks do it. I got family to do it. And you know what? And they keep telling me they love Jesus. He said, Why call me Lord, Lord, and I do what I say? Why do you keep loving me and showing up with, with my enemy's clothes on? Because we preach. Priests are to dress like the God that appointed us. We're a royal priesthood. 
and you can call it religious. I don't even know why you even call it religious, because I'll be as honest with you as I know how. You shall not work. Israel did not start out as a religion. It started out as a nation. So this is a national custom, national the nation of Jesus Christ. They didn't start out. Religion came later with the church and only when the bishop took over. I thought y'all might like that. So I'm going to hear something. Why is this important? Because if you're going to be part of God's solution, stop looking like it's wrong. If you're going to be a part of God's repairing of the breach, then stop breaching his reparation. You can't serve two masters. That's real. That is why people who don't change their attire for ministry are not serving Jesus as their master. Yeah, well, you know, God is honoring them. Let me tell you something. As sad as it sounds, these still produce babies. Let me tell you, God was hot with David and Bastille Sheba, and we still got some. Yeah. And, and never, ever, ever got over Bathsheba. He never did. He was so mad with her. He never called her name again. She was a David's woman. She was not God. And God, like some of y'all men, y'all married Bathsheba, and y'all wondering why God not. Come on, Papa. I'm going to go home. Let me just say it. So I want to read something to you so we can introduce you. I just want you to know. Uh-huh. I just want you to know <laughs> that this, I want you to know what this book is. This is Now That You Are a Leader. All that I just said comes under the heading of Now That You Are a Leader. Your followers have to grow into your leadership. But if your leadership leaves them nowhere to grow, then you're not leading. leading. You're just standing out front. You're just front running. Because when you lead, people change. When good leaders change you, if leaders represent what leaders do. Like, I, don't, I never told my people that you had to do all that they do. But you know what? I, I, I taught them what it meant to be a royal priest. I taught them what it meant to represent the God of all things. The earth is the lowest. We like the earth is the lowest and the poor is the best. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God, all the silver is his. All the gold is his. We preach that and you look like he broke. And not only do you look like he broke, you don't even stole to him because your broke appearance and broke attire has broken your respect for this man. Because you got to spend money. Somebody just spent two, three hundred dollars on ripped jeans for people. I watched on on uh, how it was made, and then they sit there and build machines to tear up jeans to make life wear and tear popular. And fashionable. Distressed wood, I don't like it, so please don't bother me. If my wood's distressed, I don't want to be around it. Because I've got enough to deal with my own distress. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a whole book about my soul, tell your soul from distress to distress. So I want to read some things. You want to hear some reading? Yes. All right, you're going to love it. Leadership appointments and Promotions ought to take into account the unspoken sentiments of those selected to lead their people, organization, and its initiatives. The reason is unspoken sentiments have specific perspectives, unmistakably evidence and behavior. What the mouth speaks and what the heart means by what it says should be observed and evaluated over a period of time. 
How people think may be determined by their words. How they feel cannot be determined. It must be detected by some circuitous or clever means because people do more of what they feel than what they say. Analyzing their proclivity requires surveying their patterns and their effects on others. Patterns take time to establish themselves, making this recommendation a good case for pre-appointment and pre-promotion training as well. For, and for extensive trial periods after installation to observe how promotions affect new leaders and how those they touch respond or react to them. Isn't that good? In effect, emotions serve, serve human beings somewhat like transfer, transportation vehicles. They power up the affections and transform them into sentiments regarding issues and situations that are summoning them. Emotional, okay, uh, emotional sentiments are what leaders bring to their position. That is why people come into leadership and the first thing they want to do is be themselves and then pass that self on to those they lead. So they come in as proselytizers of their own personality and their own persona. All, uh, all people, aware or not, utilize their emotions to distill and to render decisions, judgments, and assessments. That is how we can be called religious because we want to look great for Jesus by those who care less about what Jesus thinks. To explain the meaning and implication of emotion, the letter E before the word signifies a type of extraction or transit. For instance, Email uses a particular vehicle or instrument to get your mail to you. Evolution indicates rotation or revolution that bring one thing out of another. Likewise, emotion. It is motion that draws or shifts your, your feeling from one place to another to set in motion something moved to action. Does that help you all? Does that speak to you? So you have to ask yourself, what are my emotions drawing out and drawing on, and where are they transporting them? Or what? Or to what issues are they being transported? Because your, your emotions have a purpose. They're like a conveyor belt. They're like a truck line. They, their job is to get the power of your sentiments to the project you need to move. So when you read in the Bible, the Bible uses a peculiar phrase that explains this, and it says, move to action. Just move them to action. Move them to anger. Because the purpose of your emotions is movement. They are the movers of your soul. So this is also based on the fact that pre-leaders, that leaders today are not prepared. They're not prepared. Prepare means pared down, like you tear an apple or whatever for you, pared down beforehand for effective use. So your, your flesh, your old self, your belief, all of that needs to be pared down so that it can take on or be clothed by what your leadership position expects and demands of you. And it has to happen psychologically because if it doesn't happen in the soul, what is transmitted to your mind will be tainted by what is coming into your mind through your intelligence from education and training. So a lot of leadership decisions get caught 
and they literally get bottlenecked in the mind because the intelligence cannot of the world cannot register the wisdom and the instincts of the mind coming from the soul. So the point of what has been said is this. All leaders enter leadership precasted by emotions, by their emotions more than their intelligence. That comes later when and if schooling or training are received. Should formal or structured readiness be sought, such programs have to include in future leaders' preparation all domains of their existence, the heart's emotions, the head's intellect, and the hand's action. Purely head-in-hand knowledge falls short of what achieves and attains success. The consequence is some vague, discernible agent puts a wedge between readiness and success that lies dormant in the soul until the pursuit of conquest enters. What is that something? Often it is summed up as the emotions, classified today as emotional intelligence. But human emotions are not autonomic, meaning they're not automatic. While the emotions are reflexive, meaning they rouse themselves responsibly, they are not autonomous. Because emotional compulsions are volitional, regulated by the human will. Did y'all like that one? See, emotional intelligence still has to, has to go past the will. Everything in the soul has to go past the will to find its place, purpose, and power and to put that in motion. Emotions may stir themselves when affected, but they cannot assert or deploy themselves at random. Emotions for sure are potent, but they are not overpowering without permission, often subconscious permission tied to predetermined resolves or experience. When emotions actuate, it is because and how they are primed to do so. They are spurred by pre-coded releases and restraints, factors such as those just discussed formulate how people think about others and themselves. So we're going to talk about self-perceived identity. How people think about themselves within defines their identity and self their sense of being. Deeply buried perspectives carve the self-image laying at the foundation of their existence. At times, astute souls sense this, but feel powerless to do anything about it. Others recognize it and stumble upon its advantage from time to time. The keto ones utilize it, somehow discovering how what they live and what they live can be useful to them in life for good or evil, to succeed or fail. Refusing to succumb to life's tears and snares, the last group devises ways to profit from what happened and happens to them, adding value to their survival and its factor and their success. They turn their wars to win. Their scars to start. Sorrow is not nurtured, bemoaned, or celebrated. It is scrubbed for its wisdom and warning and its effect cast away. Nothing is lost with the group that decides to be, excuse me, that decides to extract potential from their persecution. Know that know what they live made them try to succeed, motivated by numerous goals and objectives. Is that speaking to you? See, Christians are taught to whine and bemoan their sins. Their testimonies are mostly sorrowful. 
and the reason for their failures and stagnation all about what hurt them, what wounded them, what tore them up. Not about the fact that they survived and that they literally added to their archive of, of, a, of a solution and their archive of strategies and tactics to use that survival to make life work for them. We are taught as Christians, and many sermons carry this message. We can talk about the feel-good messages. Well, you know, the, you just need to stand on the word. What word? Where should I stand? I'm withstanding, but where should I stand? Well, you just need to to just you know chant this truth. We wonder how yoga got in the ch- got in the church because of that chanting that we were taught in the eighties and nineties. I believe I'm good. I believe that enough. I believe that that. I believe that that. I'm kind of that. I claim that. All of that's chanting. And Jesus talked about the problem with chanting. He said it's vain repetition. Vain means it has no productive value. So now, people that say that spirit that came in looking like a, a looking like a Christian. And looking like Christian wisdom and Christian strategy has now thrown off his garments, and he's like, oh, by the way, I was always yoga. I just put on clothes you wear. So taking what made you successful is a sure way to have um, long-lasting success because all that happened helped manifest the greatness in you from, your, from surviving what you lived. Isn't that something? You are who you are today because by what you survived, not what tried to take you out. Oh, they're going to get that. You know, you're going to get that. Because right now, you, but yet you give credit to what tried to destroy you instead of utilizing what you used, what came out of you to deflect it and to conquer it. You, you, so all your conquerors don't get discussed in your testimony. And if you don't, if they're not there, then people don't have a reason to ask you how you did it. So how did you survive that? Well, how did you overcome that? Well, how did you outlive that? How did you go? Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, because you have to, you have got to stop making the world think Christianity is so painful and so disgusting and so terrible and, and all of that. You know, I talked to a major, um, the CEO of a major marketing firm here in town, and, and so he had these commercials on the air, and they really are good commercials. And, and so, and it was, it, but um, it's about a normally uh, very sad, very tragic state of existence. So he asked me, he said, so, did you notice that I do different commercials? Fortunately, I did have things. And I said, well, yeah, I did. He said, what did you think about it? I said, they, they give hope. I said, one of the things that makes people stop wanting to sow to various charities is because they never seem to get better. Like, the kids are always laying in bed, all right? The families are always disturbed. So they, we don't see them getting an education. We don't see how they're going to make it in life. We don't see anything. So I do like your approach because it's how 
my money is making a difference. You know, I mean, because otherwise you just want me to listen to your work. We're making a difference. Feeding and keeping folk alive is one thing. So I've watched over the, since that time, this was years back, but I've watched and when I look at them, they're bright. The colors are bright. The, um, the, the uh, outfits, their outfits, and they're showing how they are turning their handicap into utility. See, that to me, and I, I applaud that company. I really do. Because that's one of the best things I, I said, wow. Because now when I look on there and they say, help us today, they're not, they're, you're not saying, okay, so another year of how sad it is, how bad it is, and I'll never be glad because of how bad it is. I look at these kids now and I'm like, whoa, look at that. Look at that. And, and they're telling you the kids are, no, they're being trained as little actors. You know, little promoters in Canada, powerful, powerful stuff. That's what moves people. Your story doesn't matter until it ceases to be a story and it becomes a monument. When it becomes the mighty oak or the fig tree that life can draw on and sustenance that people can, can take in, your, then your story is important. Otherwise, there's nothing but moaning. I told you, you've got, you got to pass the test of your moaning. All we do is stand there. I want to testify of how I found a quarter to get to work. That is nice, but trust me, I already got a, 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 a can full of quarters, so that really doesn't help me because I throw my change in stuff. <laughs> I need you to tell me how you stop needing quarters to get to work and how you created a stream of quarters or a stream of transportation funds that are to you. So when people, when, you, when folks come to us and they really want to tell us how bad it is and why they can't do their tuition, I don't care about that. <coughs> I really don't. I don't care about you being unable to do your tuition because you've been unable to do a lot of things. This is just added to the pile. The fact of what you're unable to do because you don't perceive the potential money in you to solve your problems. Leadership is about solving problems. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So if God told people do it every day, they go and work two, three jobs. What you're saying is I don't want to be inconvenienced for this education, but I do want you to suffer the loss because of my decision. I'm not going to suffer loss because you don't want to change your life. That's not happening. That's not, I'm telling you. Is that true? No, no, we don't care. How did that bill go out? You're going to pay me or you're going to stay home? <laughs> Because if you can't pay for your if you can't pay for your education, you will not stay in your career. Because you the, all of all that you that's built in you, all that comes from you fighting the odds and beating the odds, that is a record that nobody can take from you. You know, I like the word record, read court, C O R D. It's a long, it's lasting court of information and recall that nobody can take you. When you fight for that car, nobody can tell you that you've never accomplished anything. Me making you pay tuition may be the first thing you accomplish in your whole life. So you need to say <laughs> So don't write me letters about uh, we need a free ride. No, the freedom train is over. Black folk haven't needed the freedom train for a long time. <laughs> Ellis Allen, Took the freedom train from the Europeans. We all are in here to make it happen. <laughs> 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 
not a church. So I'm telling you, don't come here with that church rhetoric. Don't come here telling me about what your pastor allowed, because shame on your pastor who did not bring out your greatness and who did not make you feel it's about money, who did not tap into the you that can make life happen and turn circumstances to your advantage. No, we don't do it here at Price University. So if you come on the board, you're going to come aboard, let me know how you're going to pay yourself. <laughs> Is that right or not? My folks learned how to survive with nothing. How we just, well, that's a whole other testimony. I think about uh, Prophet Adir. She, once she made up her mind to serve God, I love this woman. I love how she did it. She made up her mind. I'm not going back on Jesus. I'm not cheating. I'm not going to get a sugar daddy. I'm not going to do anything. And I'm still going to thrive, not just survive, thrive. Somebody got to hear it with. This girl goes and trains herself for a career, starts a business, and now living in her own house, driving her own day model car, working on her own career, taking care of herself, and modeling that survival and modeling that success for all of those that are in her life. See, there are a lot of people, you, you think God understands because you tell him you can't serve him, because you can't make a living, because you can't leave your job. God does not understand because I'm telling you, you're talking to the man for whom ex nihilo is standard operating procedure. Everything we have, we started with nothing. Everything. I said to Apostle Ashley when she first came, I said, you got three things going for you other than your love for Jesus. You need to work with number one, you got gorgeous eyes, battle. I said, I said, number two, you got an amazing smile, flash it. I said, and number three, you got a heart for Jesus Christ. Take care of it. Those are the three things. So I'm going to tell you, and she has a brilliant mind. I mean, she has a really brilliant mind. And she comes from, you know, very intelligent parents. And so her thing is academic. What do you have in your hands? Stop bringing to God the moaning you have in your mouth. And start bringing him the power, the potential you have in your hands. Every one of my women, all of them, I was like, well, you can, you can do without or not. Apostle Ashley said, I like to look cute. So she go to consignments and stuff to look cute. She said, I don't want to be stylish. And then I said, if you can't make money off the gospel, you don't have a right to preach it. Because the Bible says those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. That's Bible. So don't walk around talking about Jesus is a bad paymaster. The way he said, when he said the labor is worth it, it's hired. So if you, want, if you feel God wants you to be at the top, because only the educated are going to be up there, I don't care if it's streetwise. Or class-wise. Wisdom. <laughs> Come on. Wisdom prospers. Am I saying it right? Wisdom prospers. So if you're going to be at the top, you're going to have to get there like everybody else did. You're going to start at the Hilo. I ain't got a dime. I got 15 cents. I got $30. I don't have my mama threw me out. I'm living in my car. I'm, this world is full of stories of people who do that. That little movie happiness. It's all about letting the vision and letting the purpose drive your action and not the condition of your life. So you figure, well, I'm just, I'm just waiting for God to get me out this apartment. Wait on. 
Wait on he's eternal, so you know he can slow things down for like ever. Wait for it. And people prophesy to you, and you're so, so stuck and so convinced that your lethargy and your laziness is, is, is justified. They prophesy to you what God sent into the planet for you. You know what they say? Yeah, I know. I mean, I've heard it. People be telling me all the time. Yeah, I know. I'm just waiting for God to move. Wait on. I'm telling you, wait on. This is a man that had people in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay. Right. They dying out, birthing. For 40 years, he got a right in the wilderness. They can't even see the other circle. <laughs> 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 they, they're like, all they know is we are in this wilderness and we serve this mountain. This is the same man. This is the same man that lets things stay dormant until he gets tired of being dormant. So don't think that because you, you're saying you're blaming God and you're criticizing him and he, you know, I mean, he knows I love him and I threw money at him and I threw some oil at him and slammed some water in his wet face. You think God is impressed? He is not. God is a fruit man. God's about fruit. He cursed barrenness. He cursed laziness. Some of you all are like, um, you know, we we God, the Lord has set me free from the curse of not laziness, because anything that doesn't bear fruit, God has cursed it. And curse doesn't mean kill. Sometimes curse simply means stopped. It's simply curse equals inertia, and inertia equals curse, because God's a moving God. So some of you all listening to me today, you're so proud of yourself. I believe God. You get up in the morning. Bless your little holy heart. You mean well. You get up in the morning. <laughs> y'all got You get up in the morning. You got your Bible. You have your praise music on. You are in your prayer closet. I mean, you are there. You are just, whoop. You and God, y'all got a routine. And then afterwards, you go and turn on your TV. Or you afterwards, you go and get on the phone with your friends, or you go and decide that you're going to hand out some free flower buds or candles or something like that. Nothing to bear fruit. God is a fruit man. He is about harvest. He is about productivity. God is about you taking what he gave you for free and turning it into your life economy. That is Jesus the Christ. And everything he did was about fruit. What he came into I'm about fruit. Uh, what did he say to the man on the, at, at Solomon's porch? Now think about it. This man was trying. I'm almost done. This man was trifling. <laughs> Every year the angel came down to the water. Every single year. <laughs> the angel came down and troubled the water. And whoever got in the water first would heal them whatever was wrong with them. Okay? This guy is 30-something years. He's a long time. And they, and he's laying there, and the people are frolicking in the water, getting in healing, and he's just laying there talking about why he can't get in. Now, <laughs> Jesus shows up and goes to the heart of the night. And he said, do you really want to be made home? Well, I do, Master, but I have nobody to put me in the water. Bless Jesus' compassion. Go <laughs> bless the Lord for his compassion. Because, you know, he could have turned that into a real psychological therapeutic moment after he rebuked him. But he rebuked him intelligently. And this is how he acted. 
against false and futile. Instinctual yearning to be revealed is hampered by fear of exposure and its consequences, such as vulnerability, victimhood, and exploitation. Constant distinctions such as those are finitely weaved through the soul of every creature, bred by earth's harshness and spurred by its trials. Protecting its truth is paramount to the soul's existence, for it is those truths that sway the will and design a lifetime of successes or failures. Does that make sense to you all? So I want you to recognize this is something that I read a lot, and I expect you all to share, 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 but I also expect you to what? Review, review, review. Replay it, because there's a lot there. I've given you that. That's a lot that I gave you. So when it comes time to sow, you need to remember, you need to sow to your soul up, because I just gave a lot of you an opportunity to get free. If you decide that you would like more of this, you can enroll in the leadership class that Apostle Ashley talked about. And you can also call our offices and say, you know, I want to sign up for some soul help. I want to sign up for a prophetic advisement. I want to sign up. I want to sign up for something to get me on this path. <laughs> so let's look at some of the things about. I'm going to look at slide number four. <clears throat> I think it's four. Let me just show the one I have, and then she'll find it. Because you know we are sharp to death. So you have got to make up your mind about leadership and that you will commit to what it takes. Leaders who don't commit to the to where they're headed or where they've been appointed will always drag where they've been promoted down to where they were. So a lot of you are wondering, what happened to this guy? This guy, he showed great promise. What happened to this woman? She was amazing until I put her in leadership. Because the, the stuck place, the vice grip is that I don't want to lose my self-identity. And so when you're deciding if someone should be in leadership, you must, you must explore their commitment to their self-identity or their personal identity and perspective. You must do that. Because if not, you will have short-lived leadership. Um, that, the, that person will serve you for a short time, but you will look like you can't pick a good leader. So stop rush, rush, rushing people into leadership. That's why Paul writes, don't lay hands on anyone rashly or suddenly. It's like learn these people. Learn what they think. Learn what drives them. Learn what motivates them. Because you shouldn't have... Five years down the road, people shipwreck, folks not growing, and you're preaching the truth, and yet they're still believing something else. They're remaining unconverted because you put unconverted leaders over them. So you look like you can't pick a leader. You look like you can't pick a winner. I want to hear something. Because many of you, your people left your church not because they had a problem with you. They had a problem with your leadership choices. They had a problem with your inability to discern what is good for them, what's good for your sheep, what's good for your body, because you put people in power because they were your friends, because they went out to dinner with you all the time. You put them in power because they were a good shoulder to cry on, and so you wanted to make sure that they got rewarded for tolerating you or praying for you. And you need to recognize those are four reasons to put leaders over your people, even though 
person your friend or confidant. Trust me, your sheep evaluates your choice of leader, but they also observe who you who, who comes to you, who you draw. Who you draw says a lot to the people who are standing with you and following you and what you do with them. For example, you go and you have somebody who has been faithful, etc., but you don't like their personality, or you don't like the fact that they call you on yourself, or you don't like the fact that they recognize your flaws. So they will never be in leadership, even though they can benefit your organization if you can get over your hurt feelings. Then they can benefit, and if you don't want people to call you out, then be ten times better. That's what Daniel did. It was hard to call out Daniel. <laughs> and then when you put a person in leadership, don't make it permanent in the beginning. Just give them time to grow, to adapt to it, and do they show signs of adaptation? When they're corrected, do they immediately implement that correction or balk at it? and dig in their heels and let them know leadership won't change them. When they enter and you trust them with leadership, do you begin to see all of those latent leadership potentials and talents mushroom, or are they constantly making you draw them out according to their will, what they want to be used, or how much effort they want to put. There are a lot of times that your leaders will not do things because they don't want the effort, or they don't want the project, or they don't want the assignment, even though if they finish that project, it will elevate them in God and in your organization. Because the church has been taught not to strive for God. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Why am I doing this? Because your yoke ain't supposed to be easy. You are yoked to what must happen, not to all of your finished achievements. And then believing in it. The leader who stays in position, constantly telling you you shouldn't, they shouldn't be the one, they're not the one, you you don't understand, they feel uncomfortable inside, they feel inadequate, they feel all that. That leader is going to stagnate your organization, but that personality is going to breed inferiority and insecurity because they believe it, they'll always say it. They won't come, they won't own their strength, they won't own their achievements, they will not stand up and say, Yes, I'm the one. They will not acknowledge what they do well or they will not acknowledge their potential to make something happen. You do not want a negative melody in your organization. Because private conversations with them between them and your staff will de- will demotivate your people. Now, I don't need you being an egomaniac. I don't need you being arrogant, but a lot of what we call arrogance is really acknowledgement and ownership. Like, I'm good at what I do. Now, I'm not good at what I do because um, I just woke up one day and said, hey, Paula, you're the grandest. I'm good at what I do because I acknowledge what God made of me. I acknowledge my ability to hear him and produce his end results. So I'm, I'm really good at it. And I, why did I start doing that? Because I was out with the, the one. I, I wanted to be coy. I wanted to be you know, humble. Let me tell you something. When you go on a war, I'm going to need you to be a warrior and not a devotee. I'm going to need you to get, understand that you better dig deep and pull up all of your abilities and all of your resources and all of your experience to make a thing happen. I'm telling you, you be shy at home. Be shy at the dinner table. Be shy on the date. Be shy with your mate. Don't be shy in my business. 
Because we need courageous. Everybody that God you has to be courageous. And if they have no courage, he fed them with courage. Okay? And then be faithful to those trusting you to lead. Don't get so wrapped up and so cocky about what you bring to your leadership position that you forget they put you in power. Because I want you to understand, you are joining something that's already strong and working. So don't get it in your mind that they can't do without you. Because the funny thing about people, that's a challenge that all leaders will eventually take, even if it takes them years. They will literally, they will wish for your failure. They will wish for, your, for you to give them an opportunity to get rid of you. I don't care how great you deposit. And when you hit that vulnerable moment, they will seize it right away to remove you. So this is what I call the soul um, leadership puzzle. The point is to help you break the seal on what makes you a leader and discover the level and how to discover the level and type of leader you are constructed by God to be. That information goes into your personal leadership style, the blend of attributes and aptitudes that make you unique as a leader. I'm going to go to the next one, and that's going to end it for today, and then you'll have to go online and just enroll. How about that? Because I, one thing I'm sure of, I don't have to worry about whether or not people are going to act on this material and enroll, because the great will act, and the mediocre and inferior will react. And that's just the way it is. So when people, you know, because people like to let us know, that, you know, they see it differently, or I'm going to this, this school, or I'm going to that ministry and all of that. And somehow or another, they want you to feel inferior by their assessment of you. And I just want you to understand, I didn't get this from you, so I don't, I don't measure it for you. If we are what you want, welcome aboard. Come, join. If we are what God is calling, great leaders do not look for less development. They're not looking for the day that they don't ever have to be developing. They are lifelong learners and lifelong doers. Great, I mean, a powerful leader is something. I, I listen to my leaders. I promise you I do. I listen to them. And they, 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 it comes out of them naturally. We never, I don't know what we have talked about. It's been over the years. But they are always, they know the books that they're reading, the this they learn, the that they learn, the, 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 how God spoke to them, the, the um, YouTube they want, they are always looking to upgrade and refine their leadership, not find the point of developmental exhaustion. And see, when people get exhausted on development, I know that your strength is small, you can't do it. So that means I look at you as level one, I look at you as level two, and, and you're going to have you gotta to expose something to say level three. Because if you are always exhausted by your exhausted by your development, then that means you're also destitute of potential to pass on to your people. So your cat becomes their last. So let's go on. So this, what you see there on the screen is what I call the leader's soul. Number one, learning and leading are go hand in glove because there are always new situations that's going to make you have to learn new ways, new methods, and new answers to them. Then you see a skill uh, there. You, you have to be able to determine who is the novice or the beginner in your organization 
and who's the expert. And you want to make sure that of anybody in your leadership sector who wants to be an expert has an opportunity to do it, but can recognize the traits and the qualities of expertise. Uh, the church gets wowed by information and call it expertise. Nobody, what? We get wild by what we haven't heard. Wow, I haven't heard that before ever. Well, you probably have been developmentally exhausted, meaning you stop searching, you stop looking, you stop trying to outdo your last personal best. They ask me, sometimes, how do you do? I'm always trying to outdo my last personal best. Why? Because if I'm not dying today, then I ought not to decide to stagnant for the rest of my life. I'm just not doing it. If I'm going to live for 25, 30 more years, then I'm going to leave here a brilliant person, and I might fit in with the civilization of God. And then we have skills. Skills, as you can see, that's a step-by-step process. It's not a lateral thing. I, I believe that I can do so I believe and I receive and I think so. I think so I am, so I am, but I thought I could do it. I, the body is manual, and it is motorized by what you train it to do. So you're, they have this thing in, in Bloom's taxonomy talking about the psychomotor, how your, your mind trains your muscles to be excellent is a process. But muscular training, mental training, zoological training, emotional training, all of that goes into skills. Because if not, if you, you, you can do it once and can't repeat. Skills are what you do without thinking once you've learned them and practice them. Eventually, skills become instinctual and not just intelligent and not just imitation. And then we have the, the, the cons and the wills. And we've got solutions. You need to know the inner workings of leadership. That's what training is. You put people in position, and they don't have a clue why you did it. They just know that they helped you out on some critical project, and you were so grateful, you promoted them. Who wants to do that? That might be the only help they give you. But now they're in power over your people, and they have total access to your organization's resources. And all they did was one thing. It's kind of like the, the kid that has one song in them. That song rocks the world, but they don't have another song. And then, of course, you see the other, in the oversee all of the elements of leadership work, clouds. These are all wonderful things. I did not create them, so do not say that you got them. No, I didn't. I compiled and composed. And then the keys to the leadership. But then we got something called best practices. Church leaders need that. Of the church people's practice of their leadership is literally appalling. Because if you think leadership is bossing, you're not a leader. You're an abuser. If you think leadership is, is, is passing off your duties, your, your disdain duties to other people, to those under you, because they're your grunt, then you're not a leader. You're an autocrat. You're no threat. Because leadership is, is not only collaborative, it's nurturing. Because the more you nurture your people to excellence, the more they offload you so you can go on to your next level. See, I couldn't go on to my next level until I reproduced my staff <coughs> to a point that they can now take the lead. See, they have to, your people have got to be trained. 
vision of taking the lead in that little area, that department, that task, whatever it is. But if it's all about you being shining star, you're not a leader, you're a celebrity. And probably a falling star at that. Because you're outshining your people does not make you look great. Just like being wealthy is a wonderful thing, but making others wealthy, that now now you're no longer an achiever. You are a multiplier. And you're changing lives. People's lives should get better being under your leadership, not worse. When they get to the point that they're like, oh, God, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go to work. That's a problem. And then rules and regulations. The whole purpose of leadership in, in, in the, the broadest sense of the context is that what keeps and sustains your organization is upheld and that everybody, the entire population, the entire community attached to it understands this is what keeps us thriving. This is what keeps us going forward. This is what makes us great. This is what deteriorates us. This is what causes us loss. This is what sets us back. Leaders have got to know that. And you should include something like that in your training instead of, instead of teaching people rules are made to be broken. Broken rules make broken institutions. Um, you know, so, and, and, and order is meant to be ignored. Ignored order brings in disorder. Your organization is in chaos and everybody is happy about the chaos because they don't recognize the chaos is because you felt that what was on paper should not have been peopleized. But your your rules, your broken rules become the people's consciousness. And they then don't care about your vision. And they don't care about your order. And they don't care about what God gave you to do. And they don't care about how excellent your organization is. What they care about is getting their piece of the pie. And that's fragmentation. Because disorder means broken. Broken means scattered. Scattered means fragmented. Means lack of unity, disharmony, etc. So if a person, if you put somebody in leadership who think your rules are stupid and they have worked for us, everybody else, remove them quickly. Remove them very fast because that's pernicious. That infection will breathe through because over the lunch table, they'll, get, they'll be sharing their little discordant experiences and feelings. Or when they go out and we have coffee, every time you turn around until eventually wonderful people will become very, very disrespectful. They'll first start becoming um, dis, uh, disrespectful after they become scattered. They become disorganized. And from that disorganization, they become disrespectful. And from that disrespect, they become rejected. They begin to reject it and renounce this and that. And then after that, they begin to assert their individuality. And then the middle of the word individuality is the word divine. So individuality may be great for your football team, well, probably for your fashion stuff, but not every industry can suffer individuality. We... Um, we will close this 10 10. So, this book, now that you are a leader, go to my website, drpaulaprice.com, and see what all we have for you. So, you know, I have a lot of people who have reloaded Kenya here, and, you know, because I sound really fun on the internet. Don't I sound like fun? <laughs> but I am not, this is not a performance. And they will tell you, I am not selling God because you don't want to please. 
I'm going to tell you right now, just because you have a problem with them does not mean my obedience should be diminished to be your friend. So I'm, I'm very serious about it. I'm not failing God because you're alive. People talking about, I, don't, I just don't believe that. What do I care? You, you know, we've made people's disbelief and unbelief almost ceremonial. You know, we do homage to it. Well, you know, so-and-so said he disagreed with you. But that's fine. That's why he has his own brain and he doesn't have mine. That's why he has his own heart and he doesn't have mine. Because mine is serving God the way God built me to serve him. And his is disbelieving God the way God built him or permits him to disbelieve him. Hey, you. I like this yellow. How are you doing? Are you surviving? Are you doing stuff for real? I am. This is really powerful today. Uh, you started out talking about how extra, uh, we were talking about clothing, but I think it applies just period that everything external is internal. So I think that, you believe that? Well, I don't think you have you Well, I, I, I think working with young people, you need to see that a lot, you know, because you go through phases of your life. You know, you look back at your, I, I, I just, I'll use this to, to say how much I think that's true. You look back to the stages of your life as fashion choices, right? Everybody looks through old pictures and you're like, why would I wear that shoes and that? You know, it doesn't even have to be a modest. It just might be like, why did I choose that combination of things at the time? You know, but at the time where your heart was, where your soul was, where you, how you felt about yourself. You know, we went through, when I was growing up, I'm a 90s baby. We went through a grunge wear period where everything was sad. Everybody heard that song was on repeat. Everything, you know what I mean? Your whole life was depressing. My so-called life was on at the time. And, everybody, you know, every teenage girl just wanted to be sad you know, and so you wore things that fit the, the condition of your heart at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you chose things for yourself. You couldn't wear bright clothing now. Everything had to be dark. Everything had to, had to be grungy. Why? Because that's how we felt. You know, so I think that's so true. You really do. You really do dress how you feel. Because even people who struggle with very, very low self-esteem, they'll say that they never wear bright colors and things like that. They never wear anything that would draw attention to themselves. So we really actually do pick our entire big how we feel. So I think that that leading into what we've talked about with the casual nature of doing church now. Everybody dresses down for church now. I mean, I, I, I look back even to my pastors growing up where we were very um, um, formal. You know, where I grew up where the pastors wore suits. Everybody did. Mm-hmm. You know, um, all we, we dressed up for church. I, I dressed up. My family dressed up. Everybody dressed up. And that was how I grew up. And I look back some of those pastors that were my pastors then that are still pastoring now, very casual. Mm-hmm. No suits ever. You know, so we've seen this progression, you know, and I, I think that we've convinced ourselves that it has nothing to do with how we view our relationship with God. But you really do uh, dress for what the occasion calls for. If you believe that the occasion is formal, then you dress formal. If you're going to a black tie, then you're going to be the odd man out if you come in a t-shirt and jeans mm-hmm. because the occasion didn't call for that. So I think it is important, um, and I thought that was uh, really crucial we talked about there and could see that happen. You talked about the purpose of your emotions is movement. And I thought that was powerful. So then you have you said you ask questions, you have to ask where are my emotions going? Like where where are they trying to move in my life? And I think those are smart questions to ask. I love this leadership series, uh, because in some regard most everybody leads on some level, even if you're just leading your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and having to discover why am I leading my life this way? You know, why why am I leading it in this direction? It really does all point back to the soul. You mentioned one thing that I wanted to ask a question about. You said leaders today are not prepared, not for at least not for effective use. Why? Why not? Why is that the case? 
Well, because leadership, leadership is about adopting and adapting mm. for the purpose for which you have been risen, you're risen or been put out, out front or in place, adopting and adapting. Now, people, when God puts you in leadership or when someone puts you in leadership, they want you to adopt and adapt the reason that that position exists. Now, and if they don't, they'll say, well, we want you to bring change, but they don't want you to change the organization. They just want you to change how that particular segment of it is operating to get a particular fruit. For example, if you're going to make change, and you need to ask, people need to know what you're changing and what that change looks like and how it will affect them. In other words, how will you know you achieve the, the change you were going after if there's no fruit, if there's no product? So when you look at the effects of a person's leadership, you know very well what their motives were, what their intentions were, what their, what their emotions were shipped over to your position to do, to achieve. So when I, most leaders today, uh, especially the church, the church, first of all, we get way too many calls, I'm sorry, but the church, first of all, leads by sentiment yes. and not by purpose and destiny. Yes. Because when you're putting a, when people hire you, they hire you for their organization's purpose and destiny. They don't hire you to be yourself. Now, if this is a company that allows casual stuff and they want you to think really casual, whatever, that's still their uniform of service. But every office and every organization has its uniform of service, just like every culture does, just like every country does. There is a uniform of service. But the church puts people in leadership for sentimental reasons. They make them feel good. They, they kind of bore witness to a sermon they like. They, they kind of, you know, they, they remind them of what they didn't like when they were kids coming up in church. There are, it, it is rare. That's why a lot of people don't have job descriptions when they're put in leadership. They don't know what's expected of them. They just know that they get to sit on the front row or they get to get the big office. They get to have their name on stuff, and people get have to obey them. But they cannot tell you why you're in that position because they don't know what they are to achieve and they can't, what they can't understand about achieving. They don't know what they're to attain. So I come to work every day. I love this deck. It's great. I love these little things. Man, I think it's wonderful. And then you sit around and you go through the drawers and you go through the computer, but you still don't know why. Most, most of you all were made leaders. Nobody even gave you a welcome to leadership package, welcome aboard package. Um, no, few of them ever stood you up in front of the people that you have to lead and say, this is your new leader. They had to find out on the run. You know, this is all of those. That's preparation. And, and when you come, you know, our program, to end it on this, our program, you know, requires our, our students to do portfolios and practice. Why? So that when they're in position, they have a place to go to discover what's expected of them. I was sharing with Rachel last week. I said, I'm going to need you to change your perspective on this thing because this thing is not about you getting a grade. This is not about you pleasing the, uh, the school or teacher or me. I'm not impressed with what y'all write. I'm impressed with, what, with how what you write. Oh, God, do we want to do? Can God use it? Can the organization use it? Can your leaders use it? If it's just about you getting a grade or you putting something down on paper just so you can move on in the class, you need to understand Dr. Price on Christ. Because we are serious about this. We laid our lives down for this. And I didn't lay my life down to fail this man. And I'm not like Paul. I'm not going to be a castaway at the end of my life after giving this man everything. I'm going to be, I'm going with my
a trophy. Here, Jesus. Here I am, sweetheart. Here's my stuff, okay? So when, 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 my, when my folks take on a project and they start talking too academic about it, I'm done. I need the symbiosis. I need that, that, that synthesis that, that, has, that you've assimilated so that you can replicate what we're doing. I replicate myself. Your portfolios and practice are, are, are to tell me how you will replicate the training. I don't care about your individuality. You can, that, that's going to come later because, trust me, your personality will stylize what you have by itself. You don't have to do it. So when they start protecting their, uh, I'm going to put, I don't agree, they start protecting yeah. their, their opinions and all of that, I'm a failure. And you know why? Because you can go anywhere to be yourself. Here, we're here to be Jesus Christ, version number 2 billion, 47 trillion, 900, so you understand that. So because I don't need my people to have strange sounds. And if you let people become too individualized, your folks have to get used to strange sounds. They forget who your voice is, and they forget who you voice. Does that help at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you want to talk? You got something? Mm-hmm. Did you want to do Always something to say. We always leave you with this. So much so they brought you your own. Oh, but yours? Yeah, wait. <laughs> Our greater way to go. My name you gavel. <laughs> You're the chief gavel. <laughs> it's break your foot. Yeah. <laughs> your foot. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I was going to say something else until you just said this about the leadership conversion. Yeah. You wrote a, a whole document to the AIT, to my AIT class, and we passed it on to the next one about conversion. And seeing the signs of conversion, what it takes to actually convert mm-hmm. from one to another. And if you're going to be successful in anything you do, you're going to have to convert to whatever that outcome is for what you're doing. And so recognizing, and you taught us to recognize that at the time we didn't appreciate it because we weren't converting. I said this only yesterday. Did I not just get a whole degree from a university. <laughs> I mean, a real, oh, are you considered a real university in every education circle? Mm-hmm. How can I almost not pass Dr. Price's class? I don't understand. Tears came out of places that I never got. <laughs> and, and she would come after us, especially when she knew we were just throwing answers on paper to get through the assignment, especially when she knew we had gotten together and really talked ourselves into the ridiculousness of what she was asking us to do. And I'm telling you, as she said, this is trash. And she said like that, because you're not probably saying yelling in school. This is trash. This is garbage. I'm not even reading it. You're not talking. And you get an F. Yep. You're not talking in the garbage. Put it there. Oh, yes. How can I tell the story? Because <laughs> I thought if you don't think much of yourself, I think better than me than to have to waste my time on that. Yeah. You said, I'm not going to put people in position who don't even value the process. Yeah. If you're trashing your homework, you're going to trash the office when I put you in it. <laughs> and there's so many lessons learned in how you handle your assignment. So now, it's like as adults, it ends this thing where we have something, if, if your flesh isn't right, you walk it off, you pray it through, don't touch that assignment until you pray it through because you have to come at it right. Okay, now I can do it. And she'll say, oh, I see you had a struggle, but you pressed on. Yes. Did I press right? Yes. <laughs> but uh, with this, even talking about the blue jeans, 
uh, topic earlier, when we were kids, jeans were for playing. Well, I say today. Yes. No, but like that's the only place you could wear them was when you were playing. Okay. We had Sunday clothes. When she talked about dressing up for Sunday, there were clothes you only wore on Sunday because if you messed them up, life as you know it was over. There's your Sunday shoes, socks, mine with little ruffles around the ankle. Come on now. And you had all of your Sunday attire for church. And that was what you wore to the house of the Lord. You came in, people came in a certain way, they stood a certain way. Everything was upright before God because we came in. Uh, properly, but you said here that people who are perverted because of success are destitute of soul. And I can see more and more why there should be rigors of training for leaders. Because you have to intentionally go in and hit all those buttons repeatedly to see what comes out, what comes out, what comes out. First, the first person's going to be surprised at you. If you have an astute teacher, they're never surprised. I just never knew I would do that. And they're like, well, I did because you said this and that and the other, and they knew what that meant. But I thought that was very powerful. And you said, um, you said so many things. Emotional sentiments are the first thing people bring to their leadership position. And that really is your compass for why you do what you do, which is why in in class somebody can be a rock star on paper, valedictorian, number one, outshine everybody in presentation, outshine everybody and demonstrate all this in the classroom. But when you put them in the office and the human dynamic hits it, they might, might you know, some of them continue to rise. You're like, oh, huh, oh that was a good choice. Great job. Hallelujah. And then, and then others, they don't. When they do deal with the pressure of when that group of friends was in your, your study group and you were doing an assignment together, they were your best friends. And then when you're a leader and having to make a decision they don't like, they're not your best friends. Then you find out oh, what that leader's really made of, what you're really made of. And when you talk about the public opinion, how much that really determines how convicted you are or even how much you apologize. So, you know, my favorite tactic, as in least favorite, is the leader who will apologize for the standard while they're saying they're enforcing it. But apologizing the whole way, this is challenging, you may not like this, on and on and on, all the pre-qualifiers saying, we know this isn't really cool, but we can't get around it. And it really is. That's a great, great example because people apologize the way she's talking about, because they in, inherently, uh, in their hearts, disagree with the structure, or they are padding the instruction with the fact that they, too, relate to it. I had to struggle with this myself, and sometimes there's a place for that, but you, you need to be careful about what your nonverbal side of your instructions or your enforcement or uh, directives are conveyed because people pick up information by sight, by sound, and by sense. Yeah. So what is the sense of what you're saying, doing with, to the people? So, and, and, and you'll hear them, they'll walk away, and this is what they'll say. 
Yeah, well, you know, she told me I had to do it, although, you know, I kind of really understood. You kind of picked up that she didn't agree either, that he didn't want it either. You have got to be firm. People respond to firmness, whether they respond positively or negatively. They respond to firmness, you know. And so um, when you realize that this is, that God made you a leader for reasons the earth never understood, mm. and for the purpose of determining where you stand in his eternal realm, and you stop playing with folks. You know, if you don't want to do it, move on. Now, I'm, I'm not going to push you out the door in the first, second, third. They'll tell you, I'll labor with you for a while. But while I'm laboring, I'm dropping. Sure. See, I'm, I'm dropping you. It looks like I'm just sitting in the spirit. It looks like I'm just sitting. Well, at point, it looks like you're listening to it. <laughs> Dr. Price is actually seeing that her standards are really hard. Yeah. So she's finally softening up. <laughs> or one of us. And then what you realize is your name isn't being called. Mm-hmm. You're not being trusted with anything. And you are left on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm loving you. We still having dinner, lunch, smell check. Yeah, but we do it. But you know what? I can separate my duty as a pillar of God's kingdom and my passion and love and affection for you as one of those people in my flock. So I can separate. So when I stop treating you like a leader and I start treating you more like a flock, that's a problem. Just a sheep. Because you're just a sheep. Exactly. Because my leaders I expect to secure, to make things happen. I expect them to be strong. I expect them to maintain. But I also expect them to get better like you do with exercise, better with exercising the principles and practices of what's going on. If they weaken you, then you're a sheep. And that's okay. But don't start telling me how we we need to keep your position because you put in so many hours and years to put in. Come on, let me tell you something. People put in years all the time. And you know what? A new leader comes in because leaders cover their leaders for different reasons. But a new leader will come in and say, you know what? I don't know why you've been in this decision all the time. But under my watch, you're not doing this. Under my watch, this is not going to happen. Yeah. So I spend time. Like, you know, God spends time with those who bear fruit. Otherwise, he lets his angels ever. Mm. He does. I mean, because you, you, you talk about, I've been praying and praying and praying, and, and God won't answer. Or either I'm praying and praying and praying. I had a dream of an angel coming. Now, that's the spiritual side of it. The practical side of it is that if a person doesn't bear fruit, then it is a waster, and God created the wasters to destroy. So they're destroyed. So when you don't bear fruit, you're wasting my time. You're wasting God's trust. God's future is open you. You're a waster because you don't bear fruit. And I'm like, that's why when she talked about the papers, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I gave everything, all of this, and you're going to give me the creator of this thing? That trash? you got to be kidding. you got to be kidding. So I'm, I'm going to love you in that nice thing to say. I am. I'm never, because a lot of times I'll talk to her, I don't talk to you. And that's good. And she, yeah, it really special. <laughs> is really special. But if, you, uh, if you, you give me an assignment, and I touch the paper because I am a prophet, I am an apostle, I am a, I touch the paper, I go into your study corner. So I know your attitude. That's why she can say, I said, oh, no, you didn't kid. Uh-uh. And I hear your words. I hear them because I'm, I'm the one who created them. So I hear them. And so I'm like, oh, no. And I thought, oh, no, they didn't want to, uh-uh, they were nasty. And when they said, I said, she had a nasty attitude about this. So guess what? No, no. She doesn't just say that. Let me tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> 
say, she'll say, and let me tell you, because this is what you said. So God took me into your study session. He took me into your group phone call, and you said this, and then so-and-so said this, and then that one said this, and then that one said that, and boom, 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 boom. Yeah. I'm telling you, one time we had a fight in the staff meeting <laughs> several years ago before this dispensation. There was a fight that went down. He used to have some sword jaws, okay? And so, and I said, I am not going to say anything to Dr. Price about this moment because folk already think I'm a rat, <laughs> okay? And so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be the one who is going to be pinned up against the wall about you always tell Dr. Price what happens here. Not doing it. I walk in the door of the house. She is in another room. I walk around the corner, and she said, so-and-so's face came up to me in the spirit, and I know what they did in the staff meeting. I didn't even say hello yet. I said, see, I keep trying to tell folks. I don't have to tell Dr. Price anything. And she ran it down. Is that the truth? And you better tell me the truth. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah, and I'm going to get it, too, because see, I'm in the see, outside. Let the record show it was God who ratted you out. He said, let the record show the Holy, one of the things that people who um, are not accustomed to biblical leadership, God always exposed things because we have meetings with them. So we have meetings, and God brings his own intelligence report. Yeah, so this one did this, and this one did that, and whatever. And so uh, when they tell me, I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I hear when y'all y'all cut up. Why? Because it's Two reasons. Number one, the spirit is moving, y'all come to me. They try to, you know, implement what y'all say. And then <laughs> I'm an old guard. And then the second reason is because the Holy Ghost wants me to defend myself. Because remember, scripture says the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. So your reproach of what God wants and what Jesus does will fall on me as his intermediary. Yeah. So, and plus, we're so used to not hearing people's um, upgraded spiritual and kingdom faculties. We're just not used to that. And this is not me. I'm not the only one that does it. There's a lot of people listening to me today that know that God will have a meeting with you. You know? Because God will say, so what, 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 what did they say? Or, you know, or either... He just wants to let me know. So when you are when you're in scripture organic, cultural modified Christianity, it has a ton of providences and dispenses and dispensations and, and, and uh, uh, provisions that you don't realize that we are equipped. You know, I'm gonna say this and then we're gonna because I only have five minutes, then we're gonna wrap it up. But you know, I, I keep teaching and maybe I'll get back to it next week, pray for me. But I keep teaching that there is a difference between 1 Corinthians 12.28, the threefold, and the fivefold. And, and the difference is in the objectives. And the objectives are stated. But because the, the, the church was hijacked from God's sovereignty, that people realize they think the fivefold is it. Well, you know, because you know humans think the more the best. But the fivefold is what God gave to his people. 
people. Because the Bible said that the, the God gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers to the saints for their equipment, not for his government. His government is over there in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And so that those apostles and, and apostles and teachers are a are the highest strata because they're the ones nearest to the sovereign and the ones delegated by the sovereign to pass on what he wants. So you're talking about, well, how do you know the difference? For example, the teacher in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 is going to be your board of education. Yeah. The teacher in Ephesians 4, 11 is going to be the one that's equipped and trained. Isn't that interesting? The prophet in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 is going to be the correspondent of the throne of Christ. And they're this first point of contact of God's thoughts, mind, etc. The one in Ephesians 4, 11 is going to pass on that information disseminated to the population. So it like your, local news. your local news versus, yeah, you go. And then, you, you like that, don't you? And then the apostle in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 is going to be your, your legislative body. And then the one in Ephesians 4, 11 is going to be your state candidate, your state representative. See, so we're talking about the throne versus the ecclesia on earth. So that is why the apostles seem to come in so many brands, evangelists, etc., in so many different brands because because one is one is tied to the throne and the other is tied to the people. One is a sub, one operates substitutionally or as deputies of the throne of Jesus Christ, and they pass it on to those who are to disseminate His will in these classifications to the saints for the equipment of the saints for the work of the ministry. That legislative apostle is not getting information for the equipment of the saints. They're getting